0: You know, um, this young man feels a call in his life to go into the ministry, and uh, it is our great joy to have him lead us in worship. That's what he wants to do for his life, or at least this segment that the Lord is telling me to do that. And so we are committed to helping you become that man and to be a part of that vision, and uh, we're honored to have you lead us in worship so let's pray for this young man as he says yes to god in his life dear god i i thank you for the yeses that willis said to you and his willingness to take on this call this mantle this challenge god i pray that we as a church would enjoy all of the courage and creativity that You give this young man as him and Charlie lead us in worship. And God, help us to know how to join him and partner with him to prepare him for this thing that he's called to do. Guard his heart and his life. Continue to make him into the man of God that can lead the people of God. We pray this in Your name. Amen. We love you, Will. You can have a seat. When I was a youth pastor, there were certain things that were my favorite things. And one of the things that I enjoyed more than other things was when we could take extra time to make sure that we were learning and confident in our faith. And so I I stumbled across this thing called Worldview Academy. And it was a camp, but it was different than the other camp because it wasn't about um, water balloons and it wasn't about um, (laughs) crazy games and all those kinds of things. It was a group of men that really saw the need for our kids to be ready to go on beyond high school and feel confident in their faith beyond high school And it really was almost like a short course in Christianity. And for a week, I would take students and they would sit through mornings of lecture, afternoons of lecture, and evenings of worship. And they were learning how to defend their faith. They were learning the basics of their faith. If I'm honest, I wish every one of us could go on that experience so that we could have this better understanding of our faith And that's part of why we're going to do what we're going to do on Wednesday night, because it gives some of the sweeping pictures, I think, that we all need to understand this bigger thing that God is doing. Uh, The first year I went with the bigger group of students, we actually would sit together and it was one of those classes where when you took the class, there'd be all these blanks that you had to fill in on pages of a workbook. And to make sure the kids were being engaged, I created a game. And the game was simply that before the next blank was spoken, we would write down in pencil what we thought that it was going to be. And then we'd listen carefully, and if we got it right, we'd get points. And, and the goal was to be the one with the most points at the end of the day and have those bragging rights, and it was a lot of fun because sometimes we were really off. And sometimes we were really on, but in that silly little game, there was a sense that we were listening better because we wanted to make sure that we understood and we were guessing and we were, the kids were really engaged. Near the end of the week, there was this, this thing that had said, role play Muslim. And I was like, whoa, well, well, I wonder what this is going to be. I didn't realize what it was going to be, but all of a sudden, the same man that had been one of our lecturers that had been teaching us that week, all of a sudden, we were all sitting in this room for this hour, and in he walks wearing a turban. And he's talking in a different kind of voice, and he basically says, my name is, and he gave some Muslim name, and I am a follower of Islam, and I heard that you are studying this week about your faith as a Christian, and I have some questions for you, can you answer them? All of a sudden, it was like we were in an oral exam. And there was a man that was questioning everything, and he was doing it from a Muslim Islam perspective and he was not making it easy for the teens whenever the teens would start to make a good point in light of some of the things we had learning he'd just start shouting at them and calling them an anathema and 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 just really speaking poorly to them and and speaking poorly about them and he was using everything that we had learned you're not supposed to do he was attacking people instead of the problem and whenever he got to a point that it looked like we might have him, he would just begin talking louder. It was a horrible oral exam. I watched the teenagers as all of a sudden they went from it being a role play to being something very real for them, and they were taking it all very personally, and they were trying to speak, and some of the girls were crying, and it got really, really intense. As a Muslim, he struggled with the idea of a triune God because Allah is only one God. As a Muslim, he struggled with the idea that the God would die. It made no sense to him. He called it foolishness and he called those who followed it foolishness and stupid and all of these different kinds of things. And he absolutely rattled those kids. Well, he rattled me too. And then he left the room. But we didn't. We weren't sure how to respond to this experience that we just had where we had passionately doing the best that we could try to defend this thing that we believed in and yet this guy wearing a turban who'd been our mild-minded professor, so to speak, showed the rage and anger that we were not familiar with. It was kind of like a nightmare. It's the reason that some people don't share their faith. They're sure that that guy with the turban is going to show them up and they're not going to know what to say. And It was incredibly humbling and kind of hard. Some of the kids were offended. In fact, some of the kids in my group told their friends never to go to this thing because there's this guy who's going to wear a turban he's going to freak you out. at the center of our faith in all these things that only god can do and we've talked about several of them we've talked about that only god can light a fire inside of people then only god can bless that only god loves everybody and only god is always there there's no place that he can be we need to shift from an only god and take a look at an only jesus only jesus And here's the reality. The Word of God teaches us that only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. There isn't another way. It's singular. There's no other way. Only Jesus saves. When I lived in the city, there was somebody that was trying to witness by spray painting that all over everything. If you go into the cities, you're going to see that. And it says, Jesus saves, and it's spray-painted. But they should probably add the word only. And see, that was the thing that the guy wearing the turban kept on pressing us about. He's saying, so if you are right, I am wrong. Well, the kids struggled kind of saying that a mean guy was wrong. But he was. And we struggle with that too. We struggle with the reality of our faith that says this. Says this. Oops. That only Jesus saves. That there is no other way. That it is this exclusive. We struggle, especially in this world that's trying to think that somehow we can find a compromise to everything, right? Right? You need to hear both sides out, and then you need to figure out some middle ground. But there's no middle ground here. Only Jesus saves. There's no middle ground. And so what's happening is this is the different things that we go. You see, because of feelings, sometimes we hope that they can change the facts. And that's how the kids felt when emotionally they were engaged so strongly. They were like, well, maybe maybe they doubted the facts, when we went into the deep reef, and they were talking about all these things, finally I raised my hand and I said, I, I think I need to remind us of something. And the professor, no longer wearing his turban, said, what, you, what, what is that, Pastor Jim? We're right. Not because we're smarter than everybody else, but because of the grace of god he called us into his kingdom we were the one that he left, that he left the 99 for but we can't let feelings change the facts and we live in a world that wears its feelings on its sleeve all the time don't we it doesn't change the facts but sometimes in the midst of all those things, especially for the kind of people that love peace and don't want drama, we think, oh, maybe we can dial it back a little bit. There's a great pastor out of New York City. His name is Tim Keller. And in 2008, he gave an interview and they were talking about some of these things. And he was just a little timid in what he said here. He He kind of said... Well, there's some things that we don't know and he kind of made it a little more ethereal than it needs to be. And boy, we as Christians were like concerned. So concerned that he wrote an apology saying, I know that Jesus is the only way and I let my feelings get in the way of the facts. Not only that, but culture can't override the truth. We live in a culture that is saying all things can be true and everything is possible and you can believe whatever you want and we can't let culture override truth. There is a movement in the church at times to make sure that we're relevant, that we speak in a way that is conciliatory and all that, but there are times that in the process of doing it that there have been men that have all of a sudden decided that the truth isn't the truth. One of them I loved. He was a great communicator. And he wrote a book called Love Wins. And in that book he says, I don't really think it's possible that God will judge people the way some Christians think because He is a God of love and a God of, of inclusion. All of a sudden the culture got into the mind of this pastor, and he decided that it could override the truth. Here's another reality. Popular opinions do not change reality. They don't. And even though some of the things that we believe right now are not extremely popular, it doesn't change reality. The reality is right here. The reality is the fact that the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, deity, died on the cross to save sinners. And nothing in the culture... We, we could add a little gilding to this and maybe make it a little fancier. In fact, Scott talked to me a while ago. He says, do you want to dress the cross up? No. I want it to be a little more beat up every day because that's what the cross was the cross was a par- a borrowed piece of wood that probably 3 days after jesus christ was died on it somebody else used popular opinion cannot change reality and fear and opposition cannot reshape the message Bill Jack, that professor, he scared all of us. It was not an easy room to be in for that lecture. But the fear and anger we felt can't reshape the message. There is a way that maybe we shared the gospel at times that was probably not as kind as it should be. The Turner or burn message was probably not the best way to put it. But fear and opposition cannot reshape the message. In fact, one last thing is true. Even though the world seems more indifferent to some spiritual things than ever before, they should not create silence. But they are. We are starting to live in this Christian subculture that is so different than the world because it's easier to hide in it than engage the world around us. You see, here's the reality. The essence, the center of the message of the Word of God. Only Jesus saves. He is the singular solution to sin. There's no way to legislate sin away because what do we find? The longer we make the laws, the more they find ways to get around the laws, right? Romans 6.23 says this, that the wages of sin is death. There's a consequence for the rebellion that exists in the heart of each one of us. Our, our desire to freelance, our, our unwillingness to listen to the Word of God to let some of what he has to say go beyond us and say, you know, I'll work towards that. But the wages of that is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Only God saves. There aren't several ways. Allah is not God. He's a God, little g, but not the God, capital G. And over and over again, we're going to find this in society. We're going to find it on the fringes of Christianity, where there are cults that say they're just like us, but when you, you take away the veneer, the Jesus they have is engaging in planets and doing things that the Word of God does not say. But only Jesus saves, and He's the singular solution to sin. There is no other solution. No form of psychiatry. No form of reprogramming. We can't create a better environment so people will be better people. The best environment ever created, we're going to talk about it next week, was the Garden of Eden, and it didn't go so well there. Only Jesus saves. He is the singular solution to sin. In fact, let's hear what Jesus Christ says about this. These are Jesus's own words. Oh, I—I I, I read this quote by Al Mohler, and I just—I'll uh, share it before we go on. Al Mohler was describing the clu- exclusivity of Christ as a universal apologetic problem, but urged pastors to not shy away. If we see it as a negative, hard, burdensome truth, we are forced by Christian duty to bear. We slander the gospel, we misunderstand the gospel, and we underestimate the gospel. Only in light of its enemies is the truth burdensome and heavy to bear. (laughs) But sometimes we're letting people reshape the message. It's kind of like we're having these focus groups like the world does all the time that says, okay, how can we say and make people manipulate people? And that's not the goal here. We're not trying to manipulate people into needing Jesus. We're trying to help them humble themselves and surrender to the Savior that died for them. This isn't about manipulation. This isn't about a new way of sharing the gospel that's less offensive. The cross is always offensive. So, what are Jesus' own words? This is what he says about this way of salvation. Jesus called the way narrow. He says this, "Enter by the narrow gate for wide for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who entered it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few." I'm sorry guys, we're going to be the minority. And the way is narrow. Jesus was talking about this in his very first published sermon. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he was saying that this is the reality, and he he speaks to that reality, he calls the way narrow. He goes on and he says this, he declares that it is exclusive. you know we all often jump right to john fourteen six But what is a more interesting chapter is John chapter 10. Because in John chapter 10, Jesus declares that he's the good shepherd. Now, for us, that's an okay idea. But for the Jewish people, this is a big deal. Because their favorite, their key king was called the shepherd king. That's who David was. This concept of shepherding and being shepherded. They were a nomadic people that had herds. That's a part of who they always were. It's kind of like they, that. there's a message that I can speak in North Dakota and Indiana to farmers, and they all get it. And the message of the shepherd was dear, dear to the Jewish people. And so when Jesus called, Christ called himself the good shepherd, they immediately rolled right back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And so Jesus uses this analogy in John 10 as this analogy of who he is and spoke of the exclusiveness of him in it. Take a look at what he says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Now you're saying, well, what is this idea? Well, every sheep pen had just a little opening, and oftentimes the shepherd would sleep in that opening. The opening was a real person that stayed in that opening. And Jesus Christ is basically saying, I am the gatekeeper. Now, this would be kind of frustrating, because see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of that day saw themselves as the shepherds of Israel. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying to them, I want you to understand something. I'm the shepherd. In fact, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Do okay. you think they liked being called thieves and robbers? Probably not very much. And then he went on to explain something about them. But the sheep did not listen to them. Do you think that as people who called themselves rabbis, great teachers, they liked the idea that the students weren't listening? He goes on and he says this in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If any enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Okay, What is he saying? I'm the door and anybody who enters through me will be saved. <laughs> then he goes on to talk more about the thief. We like this verse. We, we quote it often, don't we? The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. There was a reason why they wanted to stone him. Because all of a sudden he's saying, I'm better than you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the real door. You're fake doors. You're in it for yourselves. You are manipulators. You're taking advantage of people. And they know it. And you know what? Because they know it, they're not listening to you. Jesus explained... That it was exclusively something. The world likes the idea that there's ways to God and there's ways to these things, but when we say there's only... What did he say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus declared this himself. He said it himself. If this is not true... Then Jesus is a liar. There's a singular way to God, and that is Jesus. He is the door, He's the only way. And so, all these other ways that people come up with, they don't work because Jesus is the only way. In fact, the disciples echoed the same idea. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, which is one of the very first sermons ever preached by Peter, he says this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The way is narrow. The way is exclusive. Jesus also said this in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus himself called himself the Savior. I am the door. The narrow way. Exclusive. The way. I am the Savior. You know, it's interesting, if you read through the book of Acts, before we are called Christians, which was first done in Berea, we were called the people of the way. (laughs) When Paul wanted to persecute Christians, when Saul did, they were called the sect of the people of the way. Huh. He goes on and says, more than that, Jesus called himself Savior, but more than that, Jesus offered relationship. One of my favorite passages is in this one found in John chapter 17, where Jesus had spoken these words. This was his prayer to the Father. He lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. And then he describes what eternal life is. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, Jesus Christ wasn't calling to a change in belief. It was an invitation to relationship. These are Christ's own words. This is what he's calling us to. Because... What Jesus Christ was teaching us and what the whole New Testament echoes and the message of the Gospel, the center of all that we teach, the center of the message of the Bible, is that only Jesus saves and He is the singular solution to sin. Now people could stand, sit in this room and, and they can be in conversation with each one of us and they can say, well, that's just your opinion. Okay. That's just what you think. And they are right. That is what I think. That's what I understand to be the truth. That's what I know to be the truth. And so there's a reality that goes along with that. That my friend, when he was the iman, that professor said, so what you're saying is that you are right and I am wrong. Yeah, we are. We are saying that because see, only Jesus saves. You, you can't be a really good person and get into heaven. It doesn't work that way, does it? You you can't be related to the right people and get into heaven. You can't manipulate your way in. It's about you can't go go up to heaven on the day of judgment and say, "Well, I know this guy and he'll vouch for me." No, it doesn't work that way. This is the hard reality. We sing about it and we sang about it today and the songs are so beautiful and they touch me so deeply because we love the cross and what it means, but there is a sense that what the cross means is offensive to the world. And it's hard. And we have to decide what we're going to do. And sometimes because of its indifference, we decide that silence is okay. Are you glad that for your sake somebody wasn't silent? Are you glad that for your sake somebody moved beyond and explained to you a truth that you needed to know? Are you glad for that? Do you rejoice in that? Was it for something that forever changed your life? Yes, it was. But this part of our faith in a world that is asking for tolerance... And asking for compromise and asking for reason, this part just ticks them off. Because in this one area, we cannot compromise. We can't say, well, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe there is another way. I'll just have to read Scripture again. (laughs) Maybe I don't understand it. Well, there's some more modern ways of looking at the Scripture. Well, you know, we've looked at it that way for 2,000 years. <laughs> and when, when people have gotten off track with it, people have been willing to die for this message. When it even got off track from the church saying, well, oh, maybe this, da 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 People died. Wycliffe translated Scripture from Latin into English. The very first Bible. And it's so upset. People that were afraid of what people might figure out if they actually read the Bible that they burned Him at the stake. And the reason He did it is because of this. Solo Christiana. Only Jesus saves. So what do we do? We have to communicate the way, and we've got to stop being afraid that it offends people. This is what it says in First Corinthians, it says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I think that sometimes we're shocked at the fact that the message of the cross is offensive to people. Because you know why? Because we love it. But we're that way about simple things. I'm in Abishan yesterday, and I run into these two people, and one of them is a community leader, and he says, so, uh, are you ready for the snow? I'm thinking, the leaves are just changing. We're not quite there yet. (laughs) I said, I don't mind the snow at all. I embrace snow. (laughs) That was a message that was offensive to him. And he had no problem whatsoever giving the other opinion. You know, about two-thirds of everything that I think, people do not agree with. From as simple as snow to as important as my Savior. Got to stop being surprised. But I don't want you to be afraid. Not every one of you is going to have to go through the oral exam that he created when we went to Worldview Academy. Yeah, you might experience that occasionally, but I don't think you're going to experience that always. So in communicating the way, we've got to stop being surprised that it offends people. It's not going to become the popular opinion. There isn't going to be a day that Trump's going to stand up and say, let's sing Kumbaya. It's just not going to happen. It's always going to be offensive at times. Because either you're saved by it or you stumble over it. Here's the second reality, though. We need to make the, a- the message appetizing. I-, I think that sometimes we go out of our way to be extra snarky. <laughs> I-, I think we do. I think there's a humility that comes with the message of Jesus Christ that's so important because we are a miracle already ourselves. If we know Jesus, we're a miracle Because the road is narrow and few find it. And somehow, we heard the GPS of God and when He says, recalculating, we said, yes, Lord. In Colossians, Paul says this, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the use of time. I think that we have to be really careful the world is watching us. We have to be careful. We have to be wise. We have to have an actions that line up with what we believe. I've told you before that there was someone that I worked with at Amex, and he professed Christ, and he went on missions trips, and he was the laziest person that I worked with, and everybody knew he was lazy. And he did not help the cause of Christ at all. But more than just our conduct, we've got to be careful with our words. In verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Have you ever gone to somebody's house that is on salt restriction? Dinner. And what you find is sometimes because salt is missing, the food is just a tad bland to you, isn't it? Have you ever eaten with somebody that before they even taste their food, they get out the salt shaker and they just go over everything? they salt it all up you see there's two extremes some of us aren't bringing the salt and so things are bland and some of us are oversalting so it's just gross god calls us to be wise he knows that the message is offensive but we don't need to be offensive. Does that make sense? I, I, I meet Christians occasionally who have a chip on their shoulder and they're like, you know, they, well, you know, I shared Jesus and they, they hate me. Probably not. They're struggling with the message. You are the light of the world and you just signed it right in their eyes. And so they're blinking and they're going, ah. So we need to be careful on how we communicate. We need to not be surprised by offense. But we need to make sure that we aren't personally offensive. There's a tenderness. And you all know that person, don't you? That person that when they say, I'm going to go share Jesus with somebody, you go, oh man, uh, can I switch? <laughs> you know, Because you know that the way they share it, you would never share it. Why? Partially because you salt differently than they do. But here's the reality. The reality comes back to this Jesus is not a way, Jesus is the way. And Jesus is not a Savior, Jesus is the only Savior. Because the reality is this only Jesus saves. So my question to you is, where are you today? Are you stumbling over the cross, or have you been saved by it? Have you started a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You're not a Christian because of the church you go to any more than I'm a hamburger because I've been to McDonald's. Being a Christian, a person of the way, comes down to this reality you have to decide whether or not you're going to personally ask jesus christ to be your savior and the reason you need to decide that is because every one of us is living a life that's in rebellion to god how do i know that because since being a little kid you've always known how to be bad and bend the rules and not do what you're supposed to that's called sin in the word of god you need to decide what you're going to do with sin you can either decide it's not that big a deal and I'm better than other people, so therefore I think I'll be okay, but that's not what the Word of God tells us that we need to do with sin. It says that the wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because see, what Jesus Christ did is instead of us needing to be personally punished for our sin and the wrong things we need to do, we do because God is judge, Jesus Christ is takes the punishment for those things, so that if we ask Him to be our Savior, God takes His punishment and he, he places it as a payment against what we did wrong so that all of a sudden we go from being outside of Christianity to having a Savior that gives us a relationship with God. The question is, have you made that decision yet? If you have not made that decision, it's as simple as, in just a second I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you pray that prayer with me, that is the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. But this is one of those areas in life where there is a right and there is a wrong. There's no gray area here, black or white. Either Jesus is Savior or He's not. You have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And if you say he might be the Savior, you're saying then you're also saying he might be a liar. Because these ideas were not just brought up by other people about Jesus, Jesus explained them himself about himself. Does that make sense? And for the rest of us in this room, this thing, this reality, this truth has to continue to drive our relationships with other people we have to share the good news realizing it will be offensive to some but that in others we are a part of what's pointing them to the narrow way of having that personal relationship with jesus we're pointing them to the door so they can get in but we can't push them through the door some of you have tried that one too We have to wait for them to open the door and let Jesus into their lives. But of all the onlys, this is the most important only. (laughs) This one is life-changing. Only Jesus is the way. Let's pray.